everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of the Behold Podcast on the Genre Equality channel. I'm Hitzer. I'm Isa. Uh, and this week we have, uh, we are, we're going a little different this week. Um, <laughs> we're not talking about any like super serious artistic art house films or anything uh, like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we are going to be discussing um, some of our favorite modern teen shows. Um, the main topic, obviously, is it's a big one, um, a very popular show on HBO, a dazzlingly provocative show called Euphoria, mm-hmm. uh, which is both beloved uh, and hated. It's a very divisive show. Yeah. Uh, as well as, you know, a couple of uh, gems on Netflix, such as uh, Mindy Kaling's uh, Sweetly, Sweetly Poignant, uh, Never Have I Ever, uh, mm-hmm. and the emotionally and physically insightful Sex Education, alongside uh, a little tiny gem I discovered on BBC Wales way back in the day called In My Skin. Yep. Uh, and these, I feel, are the shows that are kind of representative. I mean, not thoroughly comprehensive. There are tons of teen shows out there. Yep. But I think like these re- these have come to represent or reflect the sort of refreshing openness and, and frankness that, that, that define uh, Gen Z. Would you agree? Mm, yeah, definitely, for sure. I, I think like what we're getting these days with this, this slate of teen shows feels vastly different from the teen shows that we were getting when we were teens uh, yeah sure. um, um speaking of right i mean before we get into gen z right yeah. like what 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 were your free, favorite teen shows of either our generation or, or the generations prior to us oh man uh oc i think was something that that in Definitive, the initial yep. uh, first couple of seasons as i followed yeah um, quite religiously uh, to a lesser extent, I think like Joshua Tree, um, not so much. Nine One Two One was a bit before my time, but you know, reruns yeah. on on Channel Five and things like that. Yeah, uh, yeah, but I mean, like, um, I don't know if Seven Heaven really counts actually. Uh, but um, I did it's, watch that. It's a it's a Christian teen show. I guess it counts. Yeah, yeah, I did watch a fair bit of that. Uh, since it was approved by the parentals. Uh, yeah, yeah. Strangely enough, um, but yeah, I think like there were there were quite a few, um, but those kind of stand out if we're talking about like early teen years, mm-hmm. especially like I think OC, um, which I I feel was kind of the um, the show that introduced a lot of music to me, right? Mm-hmm, like things mm-hmm. like Phantom Planet and all of that, and like just in general their soundtrack, um, kind of like influenced not influenced like expanded my music taste a fair bit. Yeah, uh, well. Walkman, uh, Modest Mouse, etc. Mm, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, of course, like very, very infamously, uh, Imogen Heap, uh, and a very famous <laughs> scene, uh, featuring Marisa. Uh, we'll yeah. not get into that now. Yeah, that, that's yeah. like that's the that's the point where the OC jumped the ship. Uh, <laughs> for me, I guess my generation is a bit. Uh, I mean, the, the same as yours, like, obviously. Yeah. Um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer was a mm, big one. Yeah, for sure. Um, when I was slightly older, Friday Night Lights was a big one as well. Oh yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Clear Eyes, Full Hearts Can't Lose. Uh, and and prior to that, I think like when I was younger, like primary school. So it's not technically my generation, but uh, Freaks and Geeks and My oh, So Called Life. Yeah. Were very definitive nineties yeah, uh, yeah. teen shows. For yeah. Sure. And I and I still think that um, my so-called life and freaks and geeks still holds up uh, to the Gen Z shows, you know. Yeah. Um, and in fact, are prototypical of them. For sure, for sure. I mean, like I I think the form of it has changed, but the spirit of it is, is still kind of the same. Uh, interestingly yeah, yeah. enough, I think a lot of the CW shows that are coming out right now are more derivative of those '90s, uh, early noughts uh, teen mm-hmm. shows than anything else we're talking about today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I, I know a, lot, a bunch of you are pissed off because I never mentioned One Tree Hill, but One Tree Hill is a garbage show. Fight me on. 
<laughs> they will, you know. Like it has a very ardent fan base, from what I understand. Get on live journal <laughs> because that's a one tree hill thing. Get on live journal and fight me yeah. on my old LJ. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, anyways, uh, let's get into the Gen Z teen shows. Yep. Um, clearly, of course, we are not part of Generation Z. We are millennials or towards the latter part of Gen X uh, or, or early millennials, uh, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Um, so perhaps we cannot relate to everything that Gen Z goes through. But I think these four shows probably shed some insights into that. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think they do it uh, really well. Um, with particular, let's begin with HBO's Euphoria, which mm. is an American... HBO teen drama uh, created and written by Sam Levinson, who is uh, the son of Barry Levinson. Um, and it's kind of, actually kind of based on an Israeli uh, miniseries of the same name. Oh, really? Uh, created by Ron Lancham. Uh, yeah, so it was originally an Israeli series featuring Israeli teens. It was adapted into America. Uh, the American version um, is, is far superior. I've seen the Israeli version, which is not bad. Okay. But the American version is, is, is how it came to be. Uh, also, famously, Produced by Drake, um, mm, yes. very importantly. Yep. Um, th- there's another ra- rapper producer who I forgot. Um, future, but future, yes. Yeah. Drake and Future yeah. produced this. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think the first episode that I saw when I saw the credits, I was like, really, Drake and mm-hmm. Future? Uh, such an unlikely pairing uh, <laughs> to be featured on something like Euphoria. But I get mm-hmm. it. I get it. Like I think, like with the whole kind of vibe and and everything that's going on, and just like the very like spot on eclectic music choices that they have here. Mm-hmm, uh, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not at all surprised that they're, you know, executive producers. Yes. So, coming into Euphoria, which debuted in 2019, um, I was very mixed on it at first. If you actually kind of, like, look up um, some of my reviews on Potwire mm. or whatnot, um, I was not, um, like, overly enamored with it in, in the first half of the season. Yeah. Uh, when I included it in, in, you know, my picks for, you know, um, best shows of the month. Mm-hmm. Um, I said that I liked it, but I had some reservations about it. Uh, and at that point, I had only seen, uh, I guess, the first three episodes. Um, yeah. And, and... I'm going to like talk you through my, my thought process about how I came to like not like it and then kind of like it and then loved it. Yeah. Um, at first, I kind of figured that Euphoria was like Gen Z skins. Mm. You know? um, and, and, and don't get me wrong, like skins is, as I mentioned, one of my, um, I, actually, I didn't mention it, but like it is <laughs> one, of the mo- one of my most influential teen shows growing up. Yeah. Uh, but skins, like the older I get and the more I look back at skins, uh, and, and to be honest, only season one was really good. Like, I felt like Skins was more exploitative than educational to, mm-hmm. to the millennial generation. Yep. Um, it showcased uh, a lot of you know, the, the drug use and the club scene and the drinking and all of that, but not in a way that, that educated you or enlightened you about the problems facing the teens, but yeah. more so glamorized it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and my fear going into Euphoria was that Euphoria was going to be the same thing. Yeah. You know, uh, US skins, well, there is a US skins, but you know, like oh, US man, skins like, part, part two, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like US skins, part, so I was afraid about that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there were certain instances, especially in the beginning where I thought, oh, I don't know, like this is this is this might be exploitative, you know, and and yeah. and not wishing to say anything. But then, as as the the more I watched it, the more I loved it, the the more I came to realize that it did have things to say, and and didn't just glamorize it. Or in the moments where it glamorized certain things, yeah, it's only done to show the appeal of them, or or to use those uh like like drug abuse or or sex or drinking as escapism, mm-hmm. um, to uh and, and use it as a doorway to talk about you know the more um, 
uh, not just the symptoms, but the root causes of of uh, mille- of uh, millennial or Gen Z nihilism. Yeah. You know, uh, what's going on in society that have made the teens this way, uh, how they were raised that made them this way, you know, things like that. So the more I delved into the show, the more I grew to love it. Mm-hmm. And and at this point, when I've seen the, spe- the two special episodes, you know, I'm, I'm firmly convinced that Sam Levinson actually has some really thoughtful things to say. Yeah. Um, a lo- alongside the more dazzling aspects of, of Euphoria, which has caught the eye immediately, you know, obviously, but camera work. Mm. Um, the most, some of the most inventive and dazzling camera work that I've ever seen on a TV show Absolutely. ever. Um, the the colors, uh, the lighting, the cinematography, the music, and all all very eye catching at first, lah. But those were aesthetic things, you know. Yeah. Um, but when you delve into the meat of Euphoria, there was a lot of meat in here, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. coupled by tons of great performances, and which is why I feel that Euphoria is the defining Gen Z uh series. Yeah. Know, of, of today. For yeah. sure, uh, I, I find it hard to disagree with that. For sure, I, I just think like it's a melting pot of so many good things, right? Mm-hmm. And and to have the kind of like meatiness of the issues that you're trying to explore. Not always providing answers. I think like some of the things that they do kind of like point out and things like that aren't necessarily answerable at this point in time, at mm-hmm. least. Uh, but like just so many good things with that. Like it's easy to be the, be caught up with, with you know um the love or the hate that is shown online. Uh and like obviously the aesthetics are on point. Um and always like very fitting, right? The music's always fitting, the the, the visuals always fitting, the everything that they, they are they they nail so many things on the head, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to pair that which su- with such substance, and that's mm-hmm. not to say any of the other things that we are talking about um, this episode don't have substance. But like mm-hmm. Euphoria is just like head and shoulders at the moment. Uh, mm-hmm. With the two special episodes, in effect, they're proving to everyone that like there is a lot more behind just you know what we've seen in the first season there's a lot more where that came from in terms of like the meatiness of it the the pathos that that you know is constructed from the character struggles i mean like Mm -hmm. so little to to complain about and so so many things to just like um enjoy yeah, definitely. You know, yeah. like nat- naturally, though, like you know, with a show seeking to be so generation defining, specifically a generation that is already quite divisive, mm. um, your your mileage will vary, lah. Uh, but it is fascinating to see the often generational divide between fans and critics of the show. Yeah. Um, and you know, if there were any worries about HBO kind of losing relevancy after Game of Thrones, you know, shows like Succession, shows like Euphoria. Uh, shows like Barry have shown, like you know, um, while they may not be the huge hits that GOT were, quality is still coming out of HBO. You know? Yeah, for sure. Uh, by far the best uh, track record in terms of any network out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as someone of the older end of Gen Z towards, you know, I'm more of a millennial. Yeah. And I I kind of fall in line with with the former, meaning that I I I love the show. You know, from its opening. Uh, minutes maybe I wasn't totally captivated, but yeah. what what did catch my eye and totally enraptured me was you know the Euphoria's whirlwind storytelling. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's 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 quite naturally a soap opera. All teen shows are soap opera, so I don't <laughs> hold it against it, you know. Yeah, for sure. But the the stunning craft with with which you know the soap opera storytelling is told, the keen devotion to fully realizing the complicated inner and outer lives of today's teenagers, you know, yeah. there's a lot of ground to cover when unraveling a world as unexplored and as complicated as this one, mm-hmm. uh, particularly with the advent of social media and everything. But I think sh- uh, showrunner Sam Levinson navigates it with uh, a surprising skill. Yeah. I mean, Rue Ru is uh, by and large the, the story's main 
protagonist. And mm. her story definitely walks the tightrope of delivering a nuanced take on teenage drug addiction yeah. that, that doesn't glamorize the phenomenon but shows the often brutal realities without, as I mentioned, losing sight of why those realities seem so appealing to, to a character, a nihilistic character like, like this who's seeking to escape her anxiety and her troubled home life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a grounded and remarkable central performance from uh, Zendaya, who, is, uh, who at that time was breaking free from her Disney Channel past yep. uh, in an astonishingly well-realized turn that never hits a false note for me, whether she's delivering a lecture mm-hmm. about the, like, the <laughs> art of uh, taking dick pics yeah. or having a, a truly heartbreaking meltdown uh, in front of a drug dealer's door when her drug dealer refuses to sell her any more drugs. You know? mm-hmm. She covers the whole gamut here and it establishes her as one of today's finest young talents to the point where I felt... You know, like uh, towards the end, right? I was start- I was starting to think that you know Zendaya has one other talent that the show has intact. You know, she's a great singer. Mm. Uh, and then you know, with with uh, a very divisive uh, finale musical sequence, also, yeah. You know, they 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 use that as well. So I mean, like it taps all her talents, and she's so great. She's so much more than than MJ in in Spider Man. You know. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, like, uh, I I've been so taken by her performance. It's insane to kind of like think about. Um, what she's done with this particular season uh, as opposed to her entire other body of work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think a part of me was a bit hesitant uh, or, or rather I had reservations about the fact that she got casted in Dune, right? Among mm. the whole slate of like amazing actors uh, that that um, they have been casted. But but th- this was before you watched Euphoria. And this was before I watched Euphoria, right? Mm-hmm. And and uh, I, I'm completely sold, right? Like to be able to show that depth, you know, um, and, and how young she still is, right? Like, I, I'm expecting great things from her. I'm expecting great things from another season from her. Um, just as, like, the central uh, character, she carries a lot of things. And that is not to say that any of the other performances are weak. They are extremely good. Um, but she's still, like, really, really, every time she's on screen, every time, you know, she has a line, like, it's just, like, spot on, right? Like, almost flawless, you know? There's very little you can actually complain about at all yeah yeah as you mentioned like the entire cast is very strong mm. uh one of the strongest elements of the show besides zendaya's performance is um rue's relationship with jules yeah by hunter schaefer mm-hmm. um she she kind of plays this enchanting new uh transgender girl who comes into town and, and quickly becomes best friends with rue and yep. schaefer is no doubt the breakthrough performance of the season because people mm. know zendaya but people don't know who hunter schaefer is yeah um and she proves to be a magnetic screen presence and and bolstered by how genuinely exciting it is to see you know representation like this and, mm-hmm. and her present here presence here feels like a truly progressive step towards uh you know uh, trans representation in mainstream american media at least you know yeah uh and i think like the drug addiction and trans representations alone are important enough topics for a show to be to be based entirely around but euphoria has so much else on its mind you know Mm. including you know weight and body image technology the digital landscapes abusive relationships um difficult and overbearing parents um specifically with neat toxic ideals of masculinity and so on you know and nothing feels like it's included just for lips all of those areas are realized with sensitivity and honesty mm-hmm. that's true to the characters that they relate to. You know, Euphoria maintains a constant feeling that it understands these young people and it nails a specific brand of nihilism and aimlessness that goes beyond angst and comes from a real place of confusion and frustration. Mm-hmm. Uh, growing up in a world that, that, that boomers have ruined, you know, it's, it, it's this feeling that keeps the show 
compelling when the plot lines themselves may grow a bit too heightened or, or soap opera ludicrous, you know? Mm-hmm. It is the performances that ground them and, and the fully realized characters that ground them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I do... Okay, so when I first started watching Euphoria, right, I was just like, oh, um, what's that show with uh, Anne Hathaway? Same vibes. Uh, Havoc. Is it Havoc? Yes, Havoc. And I was like, oh, this kind of feels like Havoc. Um, and of course, like Havoc was quite some time ago. Mm. Uh, but like, uh, initially, that's what I felt like. But you know, like, it, all, it really became its own monster as it continued to grow. I, I think like really in episode four onwards, that's when things really hit its stride. Um, yeah. So I totally understand, you know, uh, how your initial review and that, just walking us through that whole process of falling in love with the show. Uh, mm-hmm. I totally get it. But for me, obviously, having only caught up recently, um, that whole process is far more compressed, you know, mm. uh, for sure. Yeah, because I was watching it week to week. So I had mm. to like, had the space to breathe and change my opinions uh, in real time. Like. Yeah, yeah. Mine was a bit more of a roller coaster, I think. Like, yeah. uh, over the last two weeks preparing for this episode, man, there's a lot of team drama to cover in two weeks. A lot uh, of team drama. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, like, we're older, but we sometimes forget that those years of your lives, you know, is filled with drama you yeah. know, all the time because yeah. of hormones, you know, and all that. Yeah. Absolutely. It's so easy to forget, I think, as, uh, mm-hmm. as adults right now. Um, even though it's weird to say adults, but uh, it's so easy to forget how amplified everything feels um, during those years and just like how much of a struggle it was, right? Like genuinely your teenage years are a struggle in, in whatever kind of situation you find yourself in and just kind of revisiting these four shows and mm-hmm. seeing familiar situations played out in a different generation is yeah. kind of interesting and eye-opening, right? Because like there are a lot of universal um, themes that they explore and questions that are asked that may have kind of like different answers to that. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or rather like provide different answers or rather there are different answers today than they were in our time, you know? But uh, mm. it's easy to forget, right? That the teen years were tough. Everything seemed amplified. Everything seemed important. Everything seemed dire in those in that senses. But um, I, I think like catching up on these four shows, Euphoria in particular, really drives home the point that at the end of the day, that is part of the human experience for that portion of your life. And mm. even though now as adults, a lot of these things seem a lot simpler, which they aren't. Um, yeah. Definitely, uh, you know, it 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 is you know part of the growing and part of the learning and all of that. Um, it's tough. I think being uh, Gen Z gets a lot of flack these days, especially mm-hmm. from boomers and even from elder millennials like ourselves. But mm-hmm. it's hard. It, it really, really is hard. Like our own millennial struggle mm-hmm. um, as being like this transitionary generation moving from the analog into the technology. Um, yeah, was well, tough enough as it is. But like it, like watching kids grow um, in an era where the internet is king. Uh, it's mm-hmm. scary. It's scary as fuck, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, looking into like stuff like um, I guess like uh, cats. Oh, yeah. perhaps mis- misguided uh, embrace of a body image, which is both positive and negative in many ways. You yeah, know? especially when she decides to be a cam girl, which in itself is hilarious. Um, also, uh, man, I do have to mention like one little small little plot line that became super controversial online. Yeah, and, and you probably weren't aware of this back in twenty nineteen, uh, but you know. Uh, in one of the storylines, Cat used to be a, a Tumblr fanfic writer, mm, um, yes. and then you know she she they animated this entire sequence for <laughs> One Direction um, gay um, plotline fanfic thing, yep. Uh, yep. and like One Direction did not like it. Oh my god! 
<laughs> it got oh, so much flag from like like Harry Styles and all of that, but I loved it. I thought it was funny. Yeah, yeah I mean, like uh, there was like kind of like a solid kind of introduction to Cat's character, right? And just like mm-hmm. her evolution as a as a growing woman. Um, yeah. you know, from the body positive, uh, you know, no, um, a belief that she gains, you know, and going mm-hmm. to sex work and all of that, like mm-hmm. it's fascinating. Like she, and that's what I love about Euphoria, right? Like it takes the time to develop. Um, the supporting characters, right? Just as much as we follow um, Rue's kind of journey through mm-hmm. everything, you know? And uh, it really kind of helps. I do like the format where uh, Rue's voiceover like kind of gives this whole like, um, you know, background and like how things develop. Um, mm-hmm. Much like, uh, what, what's the what's the analogy she uses? I'm like... Uh, Unreliable narrator? Oh, I'm like Morgan Freeman in the, <laughs> oh, in the third right. act of the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, I fucking love that. Uh, I really fe- felt like that really helped a lot. Like in the moments of drama between the characters itself, or even mm-hmm. like they really heated up. Like for example, all the girls sitting down at the end of the season at at prom at the table. Mm. Damn, yep, yep, like yep. nothing's being said, right? But with everything that the audience is kind of privy to, that's happened. It's just like damn. That's that's got to be a tough sit down. Yeah, um, Euphoria is also famous for creating what I feel like, you know, and I watch a ton of shows, right, to be like the worst villain I've oh. ever seen on a TV show. It's a Nate, uh, played wonderfully, by the way, by Jacob yep. Elordi, who's, uh, I'm sure, a great guy in real life, but yeah. he plays this big, bad jock character, and he's infinitely compelling and infinitely watchable yeah. while being like the most despicable oh, person yeah. I've ever fuck, seen. Fuck Nate Jacob, seriously. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, great villain though. Great villain. I loved it. It's an exceptional performance. And like, at all, I I was convinced at every point of the way, um, before every heel turn that he makes, right? At every point Mm. of the way that he could possibly be good. I was totally sold on that, right? And and that speaks to just like how amazing (laughs) an actor he is and how Mm -hmm. he sells those lines. Damn, like, totally convinced. And most of the time, like, you don't get that kind of writing. Right, in, yeah. you don't expect the kind of writing from teen shows, right? Like it's a bit more clear cut. Um, sure, you want to humanize the villains and all of that, but this is like very genuinely like vile, right? Like mm. that this taste in your mouth is pass- uh, palpable and visceral. At least mm. it was for me. Um, but man, what an amazing performance! Uh, just all in all, like how do you? I don't know. Like you, recently, a lot of like toxic fandom stuff going on. People sending uh. Uh, our new Captain America like death threats and stuff like I would save my death threats for Nate Jacobs man oh yeah definitely <laughs> you know right. yeah um, but not... by the way like Wyatt Rysel has handled that really well he says I think so, like yeah. yeah like I mean he he ha- he understands pro wrestling he says that this is the point you know the point of the character is to get death threats and to get people riled up you know so I'm doing yeah. my job absolutely yeah, absolutely yeah, yeah. Uh, but still I mean we haven't seen we haven't seen but we're in episode 3 right now like we haven't yeah. really seen him like I don't think we've seen the full heel turn yet, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's going to continue on. But like, man, as of right now, just because yeah. I've just finished Euphoria, fuck Nate Jacobs, yeah. man. Seriously. Nate should have been the new Captain America. Oh, oh God. yeah. I mean, he he definitely looks the part. That is he has the chin for it, right? He's got yeah. the chin for it. He's, he's one gorgeous looking man. But hell, ugh, my God. Yeah. He is basically like a pa- Patrick Bateman uh, in high school, you know, like a bit of a of American Psycho mm. origin story. You know, it's really really good. I really like the performance by his dad. Um, I I 
forgot his name, but he plays Max Steamy in Grey's Anatomy. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, his dad is really cool uh, and a bit more complex than I initially thought. That he, Eric Dane he was going to be er- Eric, Eric Dane. That's, yeah, right, that's right. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, but, you, but when I say Max Steamy, you all know who I who I'm talking of, about. Of right? course, I'm pretty sure a lot of our audience are hardcore Grey's Anatomy fans. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh, I really like um Carol's character. I I think yeah. you know. Uh, there was so much in the beginning that they set up for him to be kind of like the main villain, right? Like the main kind of antagonist mm. of the show, uh, and how that kind of like switched its head to to his son being it. Um, very clever, I, I think, right? Like kind of very clever, kind of very human in a lot of ways that I didn't expect it for me to sim- kind of sympathize with him halfway through. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the Jacob family is just like toxic as fuck. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the double twist, the double twist in the carnival episode. Spoiler alert: the oh, double twist in the carnival episode where yeah. um, Cal uh, is the one who actually respect, uh, respectfully uh, approaches Hunter Schaefer's character, yep. Jules, uh, and and you know says that you know he means her no harm. Mm. You know, uh, when the entire episode was building this like incredible amount of suspense into what what, what will happen when he confronts her, you know, yep. is he gonna physically assault her or something? And he he ends up actually being very respectful and begging her, you know, yeah. Uh, uh, whereas it's Nate, who actually we thought like you know might be actually it's it's kind of secretly gay, you know, <laughs> and he he and he he might actually have feelings for Jules, but he turns it around, you know, with yeah. that, with that heel turn. Great, that was the episode that like that made me fall in love for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I I think that was like kind of like peak storytelling, right? Like mm-hmm. I didn't expect that to happen. The heel turn that took place in there it was crazy. The double twist was crazy. Um, like Nate is such a complex character. Once you get past your like absolute disgust for him, yeah. um, you know, and I, I mean, like they definitely like laid that out, right? Like there's a lot of like self hatred that goes on when it comes to, you know, um, trying to work out your sexuality or coming to terms with your sexuality, and like his relationship with Maddie, and Jules is just mm. like, oh my god, really? But. As the girls mentioned, uh, there's a high possibility they'll get married and divorced three times over. But yeah. for sure, for sure, like, um, like, how do you not be taken by the way that episode spins? Mm. You know, it's so it's so difficult to not be wowed by that. Uh, I I I remember very clearly, like, I I definitely binged like the second half of the season. Mm-hmm. But after that episode, I needed a breather, man. I was like, mm. really, what the fuck just happened here? Um, yeah. you know, but like so good, so so good. Yeah, uh, exceptionally tense. You know, that episode actually featured like some of the best camera work of the show, which goes to say mm. something. You know, the way the way the camera feels like a single take. You know, zipping around the carnival, you know, going up and down the Ferris wheel, following different characters. You know, it's it's pretty insane. You know, and it's it's difficult to be too annoyed at a show that is so brazen to to go for broke. You know, with yep. the ambitious technical elements you know mm-hmm. like oh every every episode opens with an extended segment delving into the backstory of a supporting character which i like mm-hmm. you know through montages um, uh, that are beautifully cut uh thrillingly realized and you know as i mentioned the camera frequently adopts this very like scorsese like frenetic coked out yep. energy mm-hmm. you know, whipping mm-hmm. around and flying through scenes with reckless abandon it's truly exhil- exhilarating you know yep. like i, I first Notice what I was in for, you know, in the first episode when when Rue um, snorts a line in a bathroom and then the camera does this, you know, inception trick mm. with walking around the party to to Jamie XX's um, good time. Yeah, that, yep. that was that was great. You know, um, like more than anything else on air right now, Euphoria actually like I keep the files on my computer so I could rewind specific scenes mm. to watch the instances of camera work. You know, yeah. 
and, and accompanied by the absolutely perfect needle drop. You know, a lot of very rewatchable stuff in here. Fantastic stuff. Like, um, like you mentioned, right? A lot of like Scorsese like camera work, but at the same time, not afraid to kind of delve into like these vaporwave kind of moments, right? With the lights yep. and and like long single frame takes of you know like close up of eyes and and things like that. I think a lot of the the trips within the the visual trips within the story itself are just like breathtaking to watch and the way that it's edited and cut is like tempo perfect you know mm-hmm. like i don't have any complaints and like uh, for those of you that have been listening for a while like pacing is a big deal for me uh, a mm. lot of the time it like takes me out of of the story and and ruins my general enjoyment like i got no complaints about that you know just being mm-hmm. able to vary the tempo um so masterfully is like top just top stuff yeah I agree, you know. But at the same time also, I do realize some of the complaints out there that say um, Euphoria may be too flashy, you know. Um, okay. it, it, it may be a bit too, too spectacular. Uh, spectacular. The, I mean, everybody recognizes the incredible craftsmanship mm. uh, and, and, you know, where the, the craftsmanship combined with the tawny, brutally honest subject matter and astonishingly and astonish, astonishing young performances, you know, yep. it kind of elevates Euphoria. But a lot of people feel like some of the shows like hype and fandom is based just on the flashiness, okay. which, I can un- which I can understand, yeah. which is why I, right now like, I kind of want to transition to the COVID episodes of Euphoria, the special oh, episodes. Yeah. Um, specifically with the Rue episode mm. uh, in, in beginning episode one, uh, yep. Trouble Don't Always Last. Um, this is where the show proved to you under COVID restrictions where it couldn't have a big cast mm-hmm. uh, that it could do just a meat and potatoes dialogue-driven uh, episode with just like uh, Rue and and her sponsor, uh, uh, Domingo Coleman, uh, Ali. Sitting yeah. In a, yeah, Ali is sitting in a diner having a conversation about everything from race to religion uh, mm. to, to addiction uh, and, and have it be just as compelling, if not more compelling than the entire series combined. You know? I agree. Uh, like, what, what do you think about, like, that, the, especially part one of the special episodes? Because I feel like it really elevated Euphoria to a level and addressed all the criticisms at the same time. Yeah, so remove all of the things that we've been ranting and raving about, right? Just, like, yeah. pure meat on a platter, like, steak, well done, like, I mean, not well done, you get what I mean, but, like, steak on a plate. Uh, yeah. Meat and potatoes, just straight up a one-hour conversation, right? More or less. Between mm-hmm. two people, uh, an outstanding performance, entirely believable. Uh, I found myself entranced in a way that I did not think I would be with uh, a series like that. You you come in with the expectation, right? Like, oh, okay, this is what Euphoria looks like. This is what it sounds like. This is what I can expect from it. Uh, there's a lot of variety. There's a lot of high and lows. But to have such a a, a keen kind of middle ground where it's two people talking, right? And, and like, um, the kind of explorations that they have, the kind of wisdom that is shared, the kind of, like, sound bites that, you know, I think will be shared on for, for a generation to come. Um, just, you know, it is extremely compelling work that you cannot deny, no matter whether you've been a fan or whether you've been a critic of the first season. Right, mm-hmm. and to have it as I mean, I'm not gonna say it's a throwaway episode, but this isn't in part of season two, right? Mm-hmm. And to be able to do that um, with with a presentation that is so subtle and that is so tempered, I mean, yeah, like I, I was totally so right. Like I'm so excited to see what they will do in season two. Uh, 
I'm wondering if there will be a bit more of a balance between what we saw in in that special episode and in uh, um, vis vis um season one, you know, because yeah. I would love for that to happen, right? For us to be able to get like both our cake and eat it, um, mm. just with the combination of the two. I mean, I would be totally blown away by that. Yeah, yeah, you know, like when people think of Euphoria, you think of like the neon lights, the glitters made across bleary eyes, yeah. the dizzying camera work, you know, and and all, they they all like do a good job in in portraying this this the, the disorientation that teenagers feel, you know, the mania of it, yeah, you know, but like at the same time, you know, like Euphoria can sometimes be completely overwhelming, kind of throwing too much at its audience at once, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 daring it to blink, you know, and and trouble don't always last, like does none of this, you know, it's it's great, it's Pat down almost like before sunrise s mm. uh set in the aftermath of Ru's relapse she joins the sponsor ali at a dinner on christmas eve which is sad by itself you know but the topic they discuss the naturalism of the dialogue the depth of the conversation oh. uh okay. and, and and you know when you when you take away all the the, the histrionics of everything else you know yeah. just just from a practical uh standpoint this extremely austere episode uh, and script. I mean, I, I I get that it wasn't necessary because it was filmed in the height of the COVID pandemic, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think like Sam Levinson uh, and Zendaya kind of just wanted to prove a point, you know. Yeah. Like you know, you think you know the show, but no. <laughs> we, can, we, can, we, we can do other things too. You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, can I just say that Coleman Domingo's voice is amazing? Oh yeah, yeah, great voice. I could hear him talk all like yeah, all the time. Like yeah. seriously, that and like Zendaya's completely believable uh, conversation while high performance mm-hmm. is just like them. Uh, I really, really love this episode. I think if it were up to me to introduce a single episode to anybody who's keen to get into Euphoria, right? Mm-hmm. I would, I would recommend this, right? Like sans everything else, right? The the aesthetics, sans you know the the, the needle drops and all of that. If mm-hmm. they wanted a idea of what Euphoria could po- is and could possibly be, I would definitely show them this episode over anything else. Yeah, yeah, and and you were saying like having it, having our cake and eating it too. Um, I feel like they struck a balance in an episode that they filmed a few months after Rue's episode. Yeah. Uh, focusing on Jules is a Euphoria special part two. Mm-hmm. Uh, this time it's it's kind of similar to to Rules uh, um to to Jules. Rules is the ship. Sorry. <laughs> um to 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 and uh, Ali's uh, conversation. This time though, it's just a therapy session between Jules and a therapist. Yeah. You know, and 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 this one they they go deeper into her past, the problems, mm-hmm. uh, the secret that she's been hiding for from Rue, which fills in so many black from season one yeah. the questions that I had you know mm-hmm. uh, and, and it, it's more to do with uh, gender body dysmorphia and things like that you know um, obviously you know more more uh, specified to to Jules's uh, point of view you know being yeah. a transgender woman than mm-hmm. uh, Rules's which was more on drug addiction you know but I think this kind of struck the balance between uh, the Rue episode and Euphoria season one because this one mm-hmm. had some of the you know the, the gorgeous kind of abstract camera work yep. and and uh, the visual montages and stuff like that while at the same time incorporating the very heavy dialogue driven uh, character work of Rue's episode you know like and this I feel is like the Jules episode feels like what. Uh, Euphoria can be in season two, you know, yeah, pairing sure. both, mm-hmm. uh, and also be like huge credit to Hunter Schaefer who wrote this episode as well. Yeah, amazing stuff, right? Like yeah. I feel that was that was Hunter Schaefer's personal kind of response yeah. to um the criticism that the Joe's character got, right? Because like she, we don't get her, we don't get any of her internal dialogue, uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh internal monologuing rather. Right, mm-hmm. uh, and like so many questions about like why she does the things she does, and 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 you know how, what drives her and all of that. Like, sure, we dive into some of that 
especially in her own like personal montage uh, introduction. Um, yep. But like nothing at this kind of level, right? And to be able to have a special episode like that to wrap up her character arc for season one, just mm-hmm. explaining, not a way, but like just explaining uh, a lot of the reasons things were done, her personal motivations and feelings behind that. Like, mm-hmm. what a way to kind of like tie loose ends before going into a second season. That's kind of insane. Indeed, you know. Yeah. Yeah, like, I, I, I kind of already understood why, why Jules was suddenly averse to rule, you know. Like, being responsible for someone's sobriety is a heavy thing, you know. Yeah. Like, you know, like, a relationship should be give and take. You should be having fun, you know, not not be worrying that if I make a mistake, my partner is going to go off the deep end and be an addict again. You know? yep. It's a lot of responsibility. And then pair that, you know, with now you have the additional backstory of a mom being an addict as well. You mm-hmm. know, I totally understand where Jules is coming from. And plus, you know, she has her own shit to to deal with, you know, like being yep. a trans woman, it's not easy, lah. Mm-hmm. Not easy in 2021, and not easy at, at for any time in history, you know. Yeah. Uh, and Hunter Schaefer did a good job in encapsulating that point of view. And these two special episodes, I do have to point out, uh, do make a distinction. Um, clearly, that Jules is an unreliable narrator, which she herself oh, said in yeah. episode one. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. the whole story with them getting the rules tattoo on their lips, you know, apparently did not happen. Yeah. You know, so how much of the show is is taking place in uh is is exaggerated or embellished by Rue and how much is not, you know. So it's interesting too. Like. And I to be honest, I don't care. Yeah. Uh, like, but it, 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 it makes me interested like, to to yeah. to see how it ends. For sure, for sure. Yeah. I, I think like not just the whole idea of of either one of them actually being unrelatable, uh, unreliable narrators. Um, yep. I think in particular, the Jules episode mixes up the timeline significantly, right? Mm-hmm. Like it brings a lot of past things into the forefront of, of her mind. Um, and, you know, especially with, like with the whole Shy Guy, um, <clears throat> the whole Shy Guy sequence as yep. well. Uh, you know, like, and like, it's so fascinating to see, um, like that's a lot closer, right? To, to what the human mind is like. Right, yeah. like in our understanding of time, like we don't always think of things in sequential chronological order. Uh, mm-hmm. I understand that it will be def- it would definitely be frustrating for some people who are trying to keep the story straight in their heads just for their own, you know, enjoyment of the series itself. But to see yeah. that kind of represented visually and in in, in narratively, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's a very kind of bold move, I think for a special episode that's meant to wrap up a character arc, right? Um, yeah. But at the same time, like it it mixes things up and may get a bit confusing because there were points in time I was just like, wait, when did that happen exactly in the timeline? Mm-hmm. Uh, but on the one hand, while it does that and establishes the fact that neither Rue nor Jules are, are reliable narrators, uh, it also wraps up all the character stuff as well, which I think mm. is just like, I, I mean, you know, it's just so fun. Like, how do you... Oh man, the writing is just like top top notch stuff. I I I, yeah. I say this a lot in, in time travel shows, and yeah. I know I know this is not one. Uh, this is not a time travel show, but again, I say like the subjectivity and the richness of character detail is more important to me than like figuring out chronology of events. You know, I don't Absolutely. really care about plot details as long as the character what the characters do makes sense, and I know I understand how they feel. Yeah, and I feel I like they've mined Rue and Jules very well, and I'm excited to see where it goes. For season two. Okay, last thing that let you know, we'll talk about before <laughs> before we move move on, right? Yeah. The 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 climax to actual season one. Mm. Boy, a lot of people hated it. And a lot of people <laughs> loved it. Uh, what was your opinion on the entire musical sequence that ended season one? It caught me off guard. I wasn't expecting it. Uh, yeah. I enjoyed it. Right, like just the kind of way it was shot and all of that. Like as a standalone music video, it would have been great. 
uh, how it fits with everything, uh, or how it fits with the episode on its own was kind of yep. strange. Like it yeah. didn't really work. Like okay, tra- it didn't transition into that in a way that I liked, right? Mm-hmm. In particular, but I'm willing to give it a pass because, like you know, hell yeah, we're we're this deep in already. Mm. We've had weird trips already. Yeah, I, I'm yeah. here for it, right? Like how much of uh, and and of course, like I don't know if we have any Gen Z listeners, but like how much of the Gen Z experience can be described in a music video like sense, right? Mm. Given that, you know, so much of the things that we have today are just like kind of snippets of that with TikTok and, and, and you know, Instagram Live and all of that, right? Like mm-hmm. how much of um, how much of a Gen Z protagonist's experience can be explained with that? Yeah, yeah. I mean... Uh, um... It's it's interesting, like it's a cool way to visually depict uh, Rue's descent into addiction again, like you know, with yeah. her, you know, taking drugs and then the joy and, and the sadness and the bitterness and and everything like all compiled yeah. into that musical sequence. I got the emotional mm. uh, resonance of it, you know, what it was going for. Yeah, but I I, I do see like why people were confused and or infuriated <laughs> by the ending. Uh, but like I'm cool, like I'm 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 always there, like if someone wants to take a big risk and and do something out of the norm. Yeah. Know? I, I always say like go for it lah. You know, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work lah. But like I would I would prefer it if people tried like things differently more, yeah. which is you know, like why I love Noah Holly, like love and hate Noah Holly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean like uh, I, I think it's a fair risk, right? Like mm-hmm. whether people love or hate it, the fact is that sequence does not take away from what a phenomenal season it has been. Yeah. You know, I'm sure you you may or may not love it, but like yeah. at the end of the day, it, it it is the last like what minute or so of an yeah. entire season of amazing things that they've given yeah. me, and yeah. I don't think it impacts it that much. Like I'm not gonna be like, oh my god, seriously, I'm done with this. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I, it it's it's I'm I'm glad that they've built a body of work in season one that allows them to take risks like that, mm-hmm. right? That eventually gets us the two special episodes. Yeah, yeah. And also, I mean, you got Zendaya there. Like, how can you have her there and not sing? Yeah. You know, like, you just might as well. Uh, like, last minute, like, <laughs> okay, go, go do this music video for us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we... And also, sh- like, shout out to Labyrinth for doing the entire season's uh, soundtrack. Great oh, stuff. Amazing stuff. Amazing stuff. Like, I immediately went to go and track down. I mean, there's a playlist on Spotify, guys. Uh, if you do watch Euphoria, um, like, all the music is compiled there. All of Labyrinth mm-hmm. stuff uh, is also there as well. Um, yeah. But damn, like it has been. I mean, we've um we've talked about a lot of series that have amazing soundtracks like paired with them, right? Like I think both you and I are a bit of a sucker for yeah. those kind of uh films or, or TV shows. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, man, Euphoria really gets it. Uh I really do love it. Uh indeed, indeed. I, I actually think Euphoria has like the second best soundtrack on TV, like mm. next to Insecure. Oh yeah. Which is also a HBO <laughs> show, mind you. HBO is killing it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, guys, if you want to hear... uh, Well, not me, actually. If you want to hear Hit Zero and, and Shafiq, who is also uh, from Hard Hits as well, um, yeah. talk about Insecure. We have that a uh, couple... Uh, quite a number of episodes back, right? We, we had a yeah, special yeah. episode for that. Uh, it's on our Mixcloud. You can find it, you know. Uh, yeah, I mean, exci- because Insecure is like the millennial version of this, you know, except, you know, like we've all grown up <laughs> yeah. and now, now we are adulting and that's what Insecure is. Uh, anyways, uh, let's move on to a couple of Netflix shows uh, yeah. similarly. 
Uh, let's begin by with Mindy Carling's uh, "Never Have I Ever." You know? mm. uh, I don't know if about you, but I was uh, not—I wouldn't say a fan, but I watched the Mindy Project, you know. Yeah. And and I and I guess fans of the Mindy Project will find her new Netflix series—not uh, new, last year—pretty um, familiar. Yeah. The, the setting has changed from New York to to Sherman Oaks, California, but mm. the main character is still the same. It's a self-absorbed young Indian American <laughs> woman uh, who unfolds her hilarious uh, self-deprecations. Uh, you know, uh, like you know, I got fired from retail. They said my yeah. hands were too sweaty to fold clothes, you know, and stuff like that. You know, um, and but Culling here has like dug even deeper into her own personal history mm-hmm. to create Never Have I Ever alongside co-creator Lang Fisher. You know, yeah. Uh, protagonist, uh, protagonist Devi, uh, is a student at Sherman Oaks High whose family moved to the U.S. from India, just like Culling's did. Uh, and you know, uh, an overachiever with her eye on Princeton. Uh, you know, she is you know smart, of course, you know, but she is still an insecure young girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, her mom, played by Pruna uh, Jagannathan, is a doctor like Kalings was. Uh, her father recently died of a heart attack, and and the trauma over his passing causes uh, you know uh, Devi's legs to literally st- uh, stop working for three months as the show begins. You know, yeah. What I really enjoyed about Never Ever Ever is I kind of realized when watching this that I I've been missing TV rom coms. Mm. Uh, and Never Ever Ever like. During the height of the pandemic, when this came out, it made me happier than I had been in weeks. You know? and this, <laughs> this was some like pitch perfect teen TV rom com angst yeah. injected into the comfortable, <laughs> unshakable framework of a stretched out love triangle teen show dealing with families and friends and and you know uh, get, getting your first love and things like that and and tragedy and all of it. You know, it 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 was just like a pitch perfect show that like went for it. Yeah. And and really achieved what it wanted, mm-hmm. um, and you know, it being a Gen Z show, I've never seen like an Indian American teen represented before in a that Indian is true. TV show. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and and that makes it special enough itself. Like even if the show wasn't good, but the show is great. You know, you got the show last year, right? Yeah, I did. Uh, it was just one of those things where, oh, I, I think Sex Education and and whatever, I kind of had a bit of an overlap, right, in terms of when they came out. You know, so I was just kind of like. Scrolling through Netflix and they had uh, obviously the recommended thing. I, I looked at the trailer. I was like, oh, really? Gen Z, uh, Indian teen girl from family. That's kind of rare. Let's let's take a look at, at what was going on. Um, like you, I'm not part, I'm not a huge fan of the Mindy Kiling project. Um, yeah. you know, but there were moments of it I did enjoy, and I thought, like, okay, if she can capture that within, you know, something new like that, like here, sure, why not? Um, so yeah, I did catch it last year. I did enjoy it. Um more than I thought I would, right? Like, I feel like at that point in time, uh, there, there are kind of like expectations that you have for shows like this, right? Like, okay, you're going to expect, you know, awkwardness and kind of humor and not awkwardness in the pen 15 kind of way, right? Like, you know what yep. Mindy Kiling's work is like, you know, mm-hmm. and, and you know, like the kind of humor that she has and the kind of way that she writes her characters. So there are expectations for that. So uh, I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would, uh, for sure. I, I do think that um, it's very cute and it's very funny and a lot of the time as awkward and as as um, uh, difficult as some of the scenes may be right like it is all around a very very few good uh, series mm-hmm. right and I yeah, that that was a big part of the enjoyment while we were in lockdown oh yeah definitely you know like I, like the star of the show um, I'm going to butcher her name I'm going to try uh, Matriyayi Ramakrishnan yeah uh, yeah I'm gonna call her Devi. Her character's name is Devi. Yeah. You know? Like she's great in the show, and this is her first role ever. Like looking through her IMDb, like this is her first 
legit acting role on screen. Yeah. I'm sure she's done like, you know, like, you know, like stage stuff back in her hometown or whatever, you know, of Canada. But like this is her first real role and uh-huh. I think she kills it, you know, like she is one of the biggest pleasures of the series. None of it would work without <laughs> that. She For is sure. such a delightful protagonist. She's this like ideal mixture of, you know, kind of understandably selfish as mm-hmm. you were in your age. Yeah. Um, uh, kind of self-blind, but also legitimately funny, fundamentally good and, and like deeply caring, you know. Like I, I understand Devi wants a boyfriend. Uh, she wants, you know, her arm hair to thin out. Yeah. She knows it's an Indian thing, but it's just quote-unquote too much you know and she wants to get invited to a party where there's a lot of drugs and alcohol not so she can get wasted but because you know she wants the opportunity to coolly decline you know things like <laughs> that I, like, I really love um you know she wants to go to princeton she has endearing thoughtful friends uh, ramona young uh, as eleanor and lee rodriguez as fabiola Fantastic, um, uh, ramona young obviously from legends of tomorrow we uh-huh. already loved her yeah um they are ridiculously sweet and, and they get plenty of time to establish themselves uh, as fully realized characters too you know mm-hmm. eventually their needs become important plot points that help balance out the attention on Devi. You know? Yeah, and, and and part of the show's uh, strengths is I I think like uh, Devi doesn't realize that you know the world doesn't revolve around her. Like her mm-hmm. friends have their own issues too. Yeah, and at certain points you know she kind of like uh, abandons them. You know, um, her mother is fantastic. Oh, I, I've never yes. heard of a. Puna Jagannathan, but she is great as this like loving and supportive mother. She was but in she Rami, right? She was in Rami. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, she had. She's the uh, the wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I think that yeah, was. I mean, mm-hmm. she's great, but you know, like she doesn't click well with doctor. <laughs> often, like misunderstanding or misreading her and setting expectations. Yeah. Uh, that Devi chafes against, you know, and and I love that Devi's Indianness is a vital part of the show. It's not like an aesthetic. It's not mm-hmm. background yep. noise, you know. Yeah. It's 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 both in the way that it shapes Devi's story and in the way that Never Have I Ever plays into the rom com genre and yeah. the way it melts into being Indian. Like being Indian affects every aspect of of Devi's life, and you know? it feeds into her mother's expectations. Why her cousin Kamala, um, <laughs> like the absolutely like you know uh, attractive Richard Mujani, lives in their house. You know, it means that Devi has to attend long, boring Indian holiday celebrations. She'd rather skip, despite the fact that they look really fun. Yeah, uh, it changes the way that Devi and her mother deal with the grief they're both trying to grapple with. You know, sometimes Devi forgets that her mother is sad too. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes Never Have Forever, I think, purposefully. Happily different from the previous white kids in the white neighborhood team rom com suburbia default. You know? Yeah, yeah, for it's sure. All, it's a defining, all pervasive facet of what the show is. You know, like that's the big one. Like Devi and her Indianness mm. is what makes Never Ever Ever special. Yeah, and John McEnroe. And John McEnroe. <laughs> I, I haven't watched the show in a year, so I totally forgot that John McEnroe is the narrator of the show. I love um, it. It's so Famous good. tennis star John McEnroe, who. <laughs> Great tennis player, by the way, but more better known for his outbursts on the court where he attacks umpires with tennis rackets and shit. Somehow, is for some reason, is the, the narrator of the show. And from like the, the first minute where I laughed, and then like, okay, then I totally bought it. Yeah, John McEnroe is part of the show. I don't know why. Until the final episode, of course, but I don't know why. But John McEnroe is there, <laughs> yeah. and it works. And, and it and, totally works. I, I love the fact there's this whole meta thing where John has the opportunity in a teen rom-com, yeah. right? a Gen Z team rom-com to talk about his outbursts and what was going through his mind at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, and him becoming kind of like this men- imaginary mentor figure in, in place of uh, Davy's father is just an yeah. amazing twist that I did not see coming. Right? Like, mm-hmm. what a strange, like, eccentric choice uh, of, of writing that is. But it works. It totally works. And, and I'm, I'm quite enamored by that relationship. It's quite funny. 
Oh yeah, man. Yeah. Any like concluding thoughts about uh, uh, Never Have I Ever before we move on to sex education? Uh, I really did enjoy this. Uh, I I do have to say though that I I think the way that the season ended didn't really quite have me wanting more. Mm-hmm. Um, it it felt quite self-contained, uh, all in all, right? Like the characters are fun and 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 you know they grow throughout the entire thing. But I don't think because it's a it's a rom com, right? Like it didn't have significant enough conflict for me to want to see a continuation of their story. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it it works really well as a mini series. I don't yeah. know. Like, I'm assuming season two is coming out. Like, if it does, I'll give it a shot. You know, and yeah. I'm sure it's going to be good. You know, I just can't think of where they go from here. Yeah, I mean, like, unless they they kind of like graduate David um to college and all of that. Like, I don't know how much more it would change up. Is it, mm-hmm. basically my my kind of reservation for that. Uh, but I I thoroughly enjoyed this um the, the entire season of it just because it was it's just really cute and really fun, right? Like, and mm-hmm. that's something. You know, a bit rare, I think, these days. Without delving into, like, Riverdale territory, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely a, a strong recommend if you're lacking some some uh, team rom-com in your life. Definitely, uh, man. Uh, yeah. Uh, and next up, you know, also on Netflix, which has a lot of good teen shows, mm-hmm. uh, it's Sex Education, currently in its uh, second season. I think it's going into its third soon. Yeah. Uh, it's a sweet and sexy Netflix series that is kind of the, the anti-13 reasons why. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it, it stars Gillian Anderson. I mean, if you love Gillian Anderson oh as Margaret Thatcher, which I did, yeah. I can't think of a more different role for her. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and this show is great. You know? And I think like sometimes it's refreshing to see a story that, that strips away the pretense and embraces the truth you know that human beings like so many other animals and living species are sexual creatures and they like to have sex it doesn't mean that they're automatically good at it and they know what they want or they know how to get it but you know that fundamental drive like trumps through every minute of sex education while also never compromising its sweet and eccentric cast of characters you know at the center of the show is Otis played by Asa Butterfield Mm. who is a 16 year old high school student living in some truly idyllic British countryside whose sexual awakening has yet to really begin what makes his home life with single mother Jean played by Julian Anderson complicated is that she's a practicing sex and relationship therapist uh-huh. who uses the most embarrassing nomenclature possible to describe <laughs> like X her son can barely even begin to imagine com- uh, committing right yeah like however living as he does with his mom his enterprising classmate uh, Maeve played by Emma Mackey uh, the, the other Margot Robbie <laughs> yeah. notices that you know like he's picked up a lot of her, of her mother's teachings a lot of his mother's teachings you know and encourages him to start his own quote-unquote sex clinic charging his fellow students for advice on their romantic interests so he mm-hmm. himself becomes his mother's profession an amateur sex psychologist you know? yeah a great show created by laurie nunn uh i think this is one of the most uh, refreshing shows that netflix uh, debuted back in 2018 yeah. um how about you uh, how did you discover the show and and you know what, what do you think about it uh again i think it was just one of those things we were we were uh where, when did it come out again was it 2019 uh i think it was 2018 Yes. Oh, January, 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 yeah, January twenty nineteen, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was just one of those things that I saw uh, on 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 the trailers, right? For Netflix kind of recommendation, I saw Gillian Anderson in some awkward moments there with with, with mm-hmm. her son. I was like, okay, cool, let's give this a shot. I, I I the premise itself is interesting, right? And like it's it's a great kind of setup for so much comedy, right? Um, mm-hmm. yeah. So I just kind of started on that. Um, yeah. By and large, I enjoyed. It a great deal, 
I, I think like the characters are interesting, the premise is interesting, the way that things play out, uh, kind of tropish uh, to a certain extent, but still like all within like kind of good humor and all of that. I do have mm-hmm. to say, however, that I feel like the Otis character um, mm-hmm. and, and Asa Butterfield's performance of it during the end of season one and going into season two, right, felt so like he's he's like the Michael Sarah of of this generation, mm-hmm. if you get what I mean, right? Like you got this whole like awkward boy, uh, kind of situation, slightly like not slightly like self absorbed and highly annoying at various points in time, which is understandable for the story. But there were points in time where it was he's just like an incredibly dislikable character, um, within mm-hmm. his own story, which is fine. Um, but yeah, that was just one of the things that uh, kind of like rubbed me a, a bit wrong. Like, I feel like his character at the beginning of season one, or for most of season one, was something that I was a lot more taken by, mm-hmm. especially his relationship with Maeve before things kind of get like really complicated. Um, yeah, but it it becomes messy because teen drama is messy, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, for that sake and there are occasional lapses where the narrative becomes messy as well which I don't mm-hmm. think necessarily needs to be the case like the situation can be messy the narrative doesn't need to become that right mm-hmm. uh, where the storytelling kind of like drops off especially uh, season 2 season 2 uh, yeah. the majority of the first half of season 2 felt that way until things mm-hmm. get resolved um, and I think that's pretty much my only criticism of it by and large still an extremely enjoyable watch mm-hmm. Uh, I really, really do love Jillian Anderson's character and the way she just plays off everything. Um, mm-hmm. And oh man, what's what's uh, her current lover's name? The European guy. Uh, in real life? No, no, no. As in like. Oh, in the show. Yeah, in the show. Like. Uh, yeah. Uh, I can't remember his name. Yeah, the plumber guy. I can't remember. Plumber guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I love it. There's so much like comedy there and they mind the shit out of it and uh, mm. it's it's so good that way yeah yeah i mean like one of the best things about this show is the fact that i think like so many char- of the characters do feel like kids you know yeah they're not hyper articulate young adults you know who like a lot of teen shows present kids as like basically walking quip machines you know mm. like like they're written by adults to seem like adults you know but these kids are key kids they're scrambling teenagers who don't really know how they feel about anything you know yeah they just know that they feel it. They just, they don't know what it is, and and all that's it. Like at the same time, the adults don't seem to have things any more figured out than the kids. You know, mm. um, as largely kind of represented as you mentioned by Jean, whose avoidance of real relationships at first, you know, in favor of casual sex, serves as a primary storyline. Like that, and finding new ways to embarrass Otis, like kind of compromise <laughs> like the majority of this of the show's yep. humor. Yep. Uh, yeah, but it, it it does allow like Jillian Anderson, I guess, to stretch in in different ways than the X Files or the Crown. Yep. And, and, and stuff like that, you know. Uh, and again, though, like this is a kid's story. With the fluctuation in both you know, friendships and relationships, picking back and forth with like this very youthful verve, you know. Mm-hmm. Sex education does a lot of things really well. Chief amongst them is the creation of a high school world that feels fully developed, yep. realistic to a degree, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but like not totally realistic, but just like the John Hughes-ness of it, <laughs> you know. Uh, it's enough to enable a sense of escapism. You yeah. know, the, the soundtrack uses just enough eclectic 80s tracks to enable that feeling while at the same time, you know, like there's a certain timelessness about this show mm-hmm. because you are, you're quite unable to pinpoint when this takes place. Yeah. Yeah, like sure. the, the set design, costuming, and everything kind of feels it could have been in the eighties, could have been in the nineties, could have been in twenty twenty. I don't know, and I think that's kind of like it, it's good. It's a good thing, you know. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a it's a it's a timeless classic 
thing, you know, yeah. like and there's a fair amount of playing with classic troops as well. Mm-hmm. There are jobs and nerds and princesses and freaks and outcasts are all represented all over the course of the series. Yeah. And and I like that they've developed it into this very sweet and likable ensemble. Yeah. It's 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 reminiscent of like other good teen shows in the past, like, you know. Mm-hmm. Um my, perhaps like my only criticism is, is similar to to Isa, you know, in the fact that like kind of dro- it does drop off a little bit in season two before it picks up again. Yeah. Uh and also like it doesn't quite feel like Britain. Uh, yes. That's about it. Yeah. yeah. Uh oh yeah. Um it doesn't quite feel I, I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. Um and of course like going into going into in my skin, of course we'll talk a bit more about that and, and compare mm-hmm. that a bit. Um but just shout out to Eric and mm. Lily, who are mm. the strangest characters on this show of a, of like a host of strange characters, but so well fleshed out. Like Eric is my favorite character by far, uh, and his story is so so compelling. I think a lot of his drama and and his own kind of like personal struggle coming to terms with his sexuality mm-hmm. and and his relationships within a largely white cis school is yep. like extremely compelling and it carries the show through its slump mm-hmm. for sure right and then as as kind of like an additional thing like Lily's character as this erotica writing alien <laughs> yeah. alien girl is just like it is bizarre to the nth degree and extremely extremely enjoyable to watch uh, but yeah, yeah. Shout out to those two uh, characters in particular, I feel like it's so important, especially with, with um, you know, or what we've talked about in Euphoria, to have representation like that where the characters are, 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 are they are quirky and they are real at the same time, right? And they have mm-hmm. like, they're not just there as gay best friend, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not just there as, you know, new trans girl. Like, like, to have that kind of like development is so important because it like, deepens the story so much so and I think in season two of sex education with the slump off with like Maeve and 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 Otis's kind of like strangeness them going on with his girlfriend and all of that like that slump uh really gets carried by by Eric's story right and I, I think that um it's kind of important because like when this the when the straight white male kind of like you know goes through his shit face like we, we have we have good characters to kind of like see us through that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, just shout out to Eric and his impeccable sense of style. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like I think overall, like sex education, as I mentioned, is very refreshing because, you know, there's this innate sweetness that comes with the message that, yeah, while one 16-year-old might be ready for sex, another might not be, and that's okay. Yeah. You know? it's, it's blunt in this depiction of sexuality, whether cis or whether gay, mm-hmm. you know, um, and it also proves incredibly fond of its characters, a feeling that's passed down to the viewers. You mm, know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. A, a very wholeheartedly uh, wholesome show. Uh, surprising to say, you know, because, you know, it builds itself as this very, like, raunchy comedy mm, you know yeah. but in, in a way it's not at yeah. all you know it's a very emotionally insightful show uh about you know a f- physical aspects that people should be more open and frank about yeah absolutely absolutely yeah yeah it's it's to me it's like the anti-13 reasons why which is such a garbage show uh <sighs> yeah, yeah. This, this is it yeah uh and finally i i want to talk a little bit about in my skin coming out of wales um while sex education doesn't feel 
particularly, you know, <laughs> like um, it doesn't have quite have a sense of place. Yeah. Right, in terms of like, I can't tell what country this is, mm-hmm. although it's obviously Britain. In my skin, is hyper specific. Mm. It is so clearly Wales, you know, that it, it's it's it. I I love the hyper specificity of it. Like, yeah. Um, to, to break it down, like uh, it stars uh, this this girl named uh, Bethan, who you know isn't the most popular girl in in her school mm. and in her secondary school, and she's not the most athletic or glamorous, but she seems quite clever. Uh, she's not much, you know, making much of an academic impact either. But yeah. there's one thing that she is better at than anyone else. If even if none of her friends or family are aware of it, she's an incredible liar. Mm. Um, this is the talented Mr. Ripley. If it was a <laughs> show, yeah. You know, it's it's a very quick watch. It's coming out of Wales, BBC Wales. It's a five episode season. Uh, it's a British coming of age import. Uh, it's called In My Skin, and and we see that the entire existence of Bethan is built around a series of elaborate, relentless, interlocking secrets and and lies and mm. falsehoods. You know, mm-hmm. like she spends every minute she can with her with her friends Lydia and Travis, and neither of them have the first idea that her mother Katrina like struggles with bipolar disorder yeah. and has to be periodically institutionalized, and that her father uh, Dylan is a useless, terrifying drunk there and that, you know, it's her responsibility for keeping her mother alive and her household running, basically, you know, falls entirely on her shoulders, you know. Yeah. Uh, she befriends with the school uh, kind of a queen Poppy by pretending to be a fellow rich girl, keeping <laughs> Poppy, you know, from seeing the squalor in which she really lives in by explaining that her house is closed to visitors while her new conservatory is being built. You know? <laughs> um, she has an excuse for every occasion and, and even when teachers can tell that she's lying, none of them come close to suspecting, you know, kind of uh, the sad and lonely truth of it, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, this is what I mean by it's like the talented Mr. Ripley if it was a teen girl. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, what, what, what do you think about In My Skin, this very, like, very tiny, very small, like show. Uh, okay. So, like I was, like I was telling kids just before we started recording this, I, I think it was a bit of a a waste for me to have watched Euphoria, binged mm. Euphoria before going to In My Skin, right? Just because comparatively, in such a short time span, with all the teen drama that I've had to consume over the last two weeks, like it did feel a lot more muted, right? And the hyper specificity of Wales against like the very clearly American. Uh, tone of euphoria was a bit of a shock I think um, for me um, but that is not to say that I did not enjoy it in my skin it is it is inventive and quiet in its own way uh, much like the much like the town I think that it takes place in right like it has its own kind of like quiet drama behind closed doors um, you know and and that is very indicative of the series as a whole um, the great thing is as the audience we get to see behind those closed doors and yeah. see like the very very uh, human struggles right mm-hmm. uh, I mean like it sounds cliche you know you've got a mother suffering from mental depression and a drunk dad right mm-hmm. uh, umpteen million teen shows kind of like deal with that but I think mm-hmm. the hyper specificity of um a Welsh high school mm. and the way that it plays out with just um, Bethan's propensity for, for lying, you know, and kind of like hiding the truth and, and, and dancing around it makes a very, very interesting story, right? Mm. Like that is very difficult to to kind of pry yourself away from uh, in, in a totally different way from Euphoria, mind you. Um, yep. And it, I don't know if it's a... Uh, vested interest on my part to see what happens if and when she gets caught. Mm-hmm. Uh, or whether or not I'm just like 
in my seat just trying to see what the next excuse she's going to give is. Because some of them are just like straight up, far out. Like really, that's the best mm-hmm. you could do. Um, you know, but at the same time, like there's so much at stake um, uh, with the way that her life is constructed. And yeah. her lies are well-meaning to a large extent, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, more than, you know, losing face or like being afraid of the bullying and all of that. Like I, I think it really is about protecting her loved ones. Uh, more so than anything else. Even though, you know, um, they do go through some very obvious kind of like imagination sequences where she's worried about being teased and stuff like that. Uh, But when it comes down to it, right, the drama that happens in the home and in in the mental world and and, and, Mm. um, really is quite something. And to juxtapose that to kind of the drama that's going on in school, like Mm. it really, like school seems so much of a, a game right like in comparison mm-hmm. to the realness that she has to to come home to every day yeah yeah um we could i guess speculate or like say la, that like in my skin as opposed to the other three shows that we've mentioned yeah it's probably the grittiest or most grounded or most realistic show of the bunch you know yes um there is no instance of privilege in here la, you know mm. like Bethan can't afford to do any of the things any of the other kids in the other shows do yeah she's she just doesn't have the money for it. She doesn't have the parents. She doesn't have a house and you know, things like that. You know, it is. It does not lack for grit. Though. It is candid and almost everything in the way yep. uh, that its heroine is terrified to be. Like it never flinches from the harsh or overwhelming reality of having to be, you know, a parent's caretaker mm. or what it's supposed in what it's supposed to be a carefree age. You know, um, yeah. And, and the, the young actress that plays her is, is superb and has a face that tells her so much, mm. you know, as her mouth is spinning one fantasy after another to people who would actually kind of gladly help her if she wasn't so afraid of them learning her secrets, you know. Yeah. Um, the series is so unsparing that its kind of positioning as a dark comedy often feels more a nod to its length than the actual amount of humor because it is more dark than comedy. Oh, yeah. You know, there is like sl- slight comic pitching here and there but not really like it's more of a dark drama more than a drug comedy uh, more of a dark half hour drama you know and it's, yep. it's quite a good one in, in terms of exploring Beffin's uh, skin uh, you know mm. pardon the pun mm. uh, it's it's there's a blanket darkness to the series that makes it a lot more grown up and realistically so. Yeah. The way that he spins various plates, which are obviously on a collision course, you know, that, that the audience can see, but she can't. Yeah. It, it uh, builds an incredible amount of tension, which is why I like I, shockingly like I I found the show out of nowhere. Uh, I heard some people in like nobody in like TV critic <laughs> circles were, were talking about in my skin. It was just like this little show out of wheels. I, I caught it. I thought, okay, let like spend some time watching the first episode. So I set aside a couple of hours from it. Like little did I know that two hours was all I needed to go through the entire season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Five episodes, half an hour each. Like it's a very, very quick watch. I, I wish it was a bit longer, uh, actually. Uh, I, I feel like they could have fleshed out a few more things there. But like because of how condensed um it is timing wise, like some of the some of the drama is is definitely heightened. I, I think her her mm-hmm. Her confrontation with her, her her mother during her manic sequences are some of the most harrowing I've seen. Um, yeah. And, and like very visceral, very harrowing. And like uh, Gabriel um, Crevy's kind of performance as Bethan as she's on the receiving end of those, like wow, her face is just like amazing stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Just to see her have to go through that and it feels extremely real um, and, and kind of very close to home. 
for for people who have you know friends or family or, or loved ones who who suffer from bipolar disorder or, or manic depression um yeah, yeah. I, I mean like really um i i don't know are, are they confirmed for a season too Actually. Um, I don't. I think they are, you know. Um, but like, but the deal was that it was supposed to air on BBC Wales and BBC Free, and then in 2020, Hulu picked it up. Ah. Uh, so they they were because of its success on Hulu. Yep. That's why it was greenlit for a season two. Whereas prior it wasn't. Uh, so they yeah. are going back to make season two now, like despite the fact that it's been it's been three years already. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But because because an American audience discovered it on Hulu like very recently, it was just picked up. Like it was like oh, okay, like, let's do another one. Hmm. Okay. Okay. I mean, like, yeah. I'm interested to kind of see where they go with this, right? Because there's a lot of promise, more than mm-hmm. anything else. I think there are a few key moments within this very short kind of like two and a half hours that you you put time into that are are, are incredible and very promising, right? Like there is so much more that you know, uh, in my skin could possibly give us, um, mm-hmm. that they already uh, more than they already have, and I'm interested to see that. Um and yeah. of course like with the kind of cliffhanger that he ended on like I mean how can we not get a season two, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, it's a very interesting. It's a very interesting kind of like study into like dealing with familial drama with with addiction and mental illness in a vastly different way from Euphoria, balanced mm-hmm. with this whole kind of like, uh, teen drama with the lying and and the school life. I don't think I've seen a combination of that, anytime recently. That is this mm-hmm. compelling. You know, uh, and again, yeah. like it is, uh, like you said, it is dark in its own way, but also extremely subtle and quiet and powerful at the same time. Uh, which is just like, yeah, why not? You know, give it a shot. I I understand that it hasn't been picked up by a lot of people and it's incredibly underrated. Uh, but you know, I I enjoyed it. Um, I was I was very taken by some of the performances they had here. So yeah, why not yeah. give it a shot? Same here, man. Like you can find it on the BBC iPlayer on Hulu if you're living in in America, of course, you know. Yeah. And that wraps it up for our modern teen show discussion. You know, um, really enjoyed it. You know, like, are there any other modern teen shows in your mind that we missed out on? Ooh, um, I don't know. Um, what was the one? Oh, was that the show? Ah, uh, the one with Leah M. Lewis. Oh, I don't think I've seen that. Uh, let me see. Let me see. Let me see. The half of it. Mm. The half. Well, of it. it's a it, it's a film. It's but a yeah, film. yeah, yeah. That counts, yeah. Um, I, I really really enjoyed the half of it. Um, very interesting kind of like uh, friendship that it explores, right? Mm-hmm. Like a very very kind of like deep exploration of you know a, a platonic kind of friendship between two unlikely friends. Um, yeah. It, probably like the Americanized film version of what Horror Mia probably is, uh, for, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but yeah, I really, really enjoyed that. I really did. Uh, I think like uh, Liam Lewis and oh, what's the guy's name? Uh, I can't remember the other the other uh, male male co star is. Uh, but like such a beautiful kind of like exploration of a very unusual relationship. I think given this day and age. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and one of the more memorable ones of the, of recent times. Mm, yeah, uh, yeah, and in, in in encapsulating that also, like we've already reviewed this, but if we're talking movies, you gotta watch Booksmart. Oh um, yeah, probably I think our second or third episode ever. You know, yeah, um, I still think that Booksmart is like the defining 
like teen comedy for Gen Z. Yeah. Uh, and and like nothing has showed up that has made me change my mind. It still is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For sure, Booksmart was great. I mean, uh, go check out the episode where we kind of talk about that. I think we talk about it quite at length. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely, man. Uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks, so we'll be talking about very naturalistic slice mm. of life films. You know, films that feel like you know someone just put like a, a spy cam <laughs> on the wall, and you're just watching things. You know, like like slice of life, like in this, like it's different from the Japanese anime version of slice of yeah, life. Yeah, for which sure. Which, like basically in Japan, it just means like non-genre. Uh-huh. Uh, whereas in this one, it kind of depicts, you know, mundane experiences in arts and entertainment, you know, yeah. where it, it re- kind of refers to the, the naturalism of the scenes, you know. Uh, it's it's a narrative technique uh, whereby, you know, like these arbitrary sequence of events in a character's life is presented, you know, often lacking plot, often lacking conflict, often lacking exposition, uh, and having an open ending. And I love these kinds of films. It's something <laughs> that I've, uh, there's some things that I've, like, grown to like yeah uh, it's something that like maybe when i was younger i avoided because I, I was a very plot driven person at first uh-huh. and then i became a character driven person and naturally when you become a character driven kind of like if that becomes your forte then slice of life is the ultimate character driven mm-hmm. story you know yep. yeah 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 like yeah without any plot kind of thing yes also known as uh as our chloe's Zhao special Mm. Yeah, we'll be talking about Nomadland. We'll be talking about The Rider, which I feel is superior. I know a lot of people disagree, but I think The Rider is Koizawa's better film. Mm, uh, yeah. Japanese movie <laughs> called Shoplifters and Sean Baker's um, The Florida Project. Yeah, yeah, which which you have been a huge fan of for for quite a while, if I remember. Yeah, so I'll be the one hopping on the bandwagon for that. Um, very mm-hmm. excited to talk about this. I I think like with uh, Chloe Zhao's kind of um. Uh, recent um, stint in the limelight, like super, super excited to kind of talk about um, both both the rider and Nomadland as well. Definitely, man. Yeah. Uh, till next time. This has been Hit Zero. I'm Isa. Goodbye, guys. Ciao.